back to the Content That Grows podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Ryan Baum. Ryan is a content leader who recently made the transition to full-time consulting, working with SaaS brands to help build and scale their programs. Uh, he was the first content hire at Helixa and Gorgeous most recently. Um, I had a chance to work with Ryan uh, while he was at Gorgeous. And over the two years there, he scaled the content program from the ground up um, to a team of five, and they handled written, video, and social content. So uh, excited to have Ryan here today, and we're going to be talking about authority in content marketing. So uh, with that, uh, Ryan, thanks so much for, for joining today. Excited to chat. Thanks for having me, Nate. I'm glad to be here. All right. So just to jump right in, um, just I guess kind of start by just telling us like what were some of the things that you were seeing you know, that kind of gave you this aha moment of like this focus on authority in content? Right. Yeah. It, it became something I was focusing on more heavily after, you know, EAT transferred to EEAT. And I feel like it was something that even before I knew about the concept of EAT, like it was something that I felt was important. And I think the concept of like a reliable expert narrator being something that we're chasing is not new, right? Like Google yeah. didn't invent people being trustworthy and gathering an audience because of that. Right. And yep. so at least speaking personally and, and speaking to content marketers that I know, I think even before authority became a harder line that Google was drawing, people wanted to do it. Like, I don't know any content marketers who were like, I want to interview less experts for our pieces. But what happened was at the time, I think, the algorithm and search and a lot of the conversation in SEO was around velocity, right? And yep. whether or not that was the play at the time that did really feel like the discussion. And I would say that a lot of people that I knew were like, I could get one piece with five really credible experts or, or bylined by an expert, or I could do two posts that were not. And I think the, the struggle with, with Google and it's not that I blame them. It's just something to think about when I think about search is, what they say they want to do and what the algorithm actually does are not always aligned, right? I'm sure, sure you can relate yeah. to that. And there's always collateral damage whenever there's like a core update. And so I think it was hard because people saw the authoritative content coming out, especially prior to like EEAT and, and AI. And they saw it and they liked it and they wanted to emulate it. But their pieces were ranking because they were doing a lot of them and they were doing them surface level and they were hitting these top of funnel keywords. It almost yeah. like incentivized the opposite of what they were looking for in the SERP, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the shift to like EEAT and them really being like personal experience is now a part of this and is really important is when I started really like, we need to figure out a way to get this in there more effectively. And I would say the lighter fluid was kind of like the proliferation of like generative AI and SGE, yeah. right? Because... We're getting crunched now on both sides of the SERP. And I think in my head, when they started talking about, you know, AI not being punished explicitly. Sure. I could just, I could see the money signs, <laughs> right? Like people were just like, oh, then I'm going to do it a lot. Yeah. And so yeah. when I realized how many people were just like throwing, you know, two, 300 blog posts up. Um, you know, in a week or two, I realized that Google is not going to like that, but they've said they're not going to punish them for being AI specifically. And so my hunch was like, they're going to focus more on this authority aspect that can't be replicated, um, yeah. along with like, you know, engagement, brand signals, things that are like harder to spoof. Um, and so that's that kind of like over indexing on the quality of the work was when I was like, okay, now this is like something that has to be done. And like, it's a non-negotiable to be getting these experts into the pieces. And yeah. we had already done that with internal experts, but this is when we started really driving toward getting more of our customers um, on interviews, bylining them on the pieces, or at least quoting them in it, uh, really trying to like, my goal was honestly that almost like none of the pieces would come from us in terms of the byline, like the content team, because yeah. we definitely think about 
or at least at Gorgeous, we thought about customer service a lot, right? But there's a difference between thinking about it conceptually. And maybe in some cases I was even thinking about things that our customers weren't because I was like in the academic yeah. almost side of it of like, here's yeah. what is possible. And they're like, sorry, I have 300 tickets. Get me later. <laughs> um, but I do feel that it's just not credible coming from me as a writer. I've never been a CX leader. I've never even been an agent. Right. And I can talk to them all day and quote them in the pieces. And yeah. if I get down, if I'm the reader and I get down to those quotes, I'm like, yeah, he did the research. But if I'm the reader and I'm seeing content marketer on the byline and like how to manage a CX team on the title, yeah. I'm not yeah. making it down to the quotes. Right. And so what we were experimenting with at the end, I don't know if we actually implemented it and I don't think we managed to before I left, but basically we were trying to use the job title schema for um, like structured data to have like an author, a reviewer, mostly like someone in the company, like our internal director of support, um, yep. mostly for the authority again up top, but then having like writing support for the freelance writer and like editor for the person on our team, bringing that piece to the finish line. Cause it's not that we didn't want to give credit to the people that were doing the thing. It's just that, necessarily like they have less and even less than we do right because like i work yeah. at, i worked at gorgeous thinking about this every day and we have freelancers who could absolutely get an incredible piece done on these topics but like nothing about their background or bio was encouraging to like a reader coming onto the page and again yep. even if the quality is great like if they don't get there they're never gonna know yeah yeah and i think that you're <clears throat> kind of hitting on an important point in my opinion, which is that um, there isn't like just for every company or every website sort of this de facto authoritative person because yes, like how to manage a CX team, um, there's a ton more experience and expertise and, and authority and all of that in someone who's actually done it. And like you said, has, you know, tickets right now that they're working through but like you're also creating, you know, bottom of funnel product led content where you are the authority because you are at the company and you're in-house and you know better than most people how the software actually solves the problem. And then you have other types of content where there may be someone else. And I think there's so many, you know, like anything else, when there's bigger changes within search, there you know, seems to be the like, how do I quickly game this? You know, whether that's, you know, on the AI side, the velocity or any of that stuff, um, it goes back a long way. And I think that the initial reaction from a lot of people was like, who can we just change, you know, to be the author on every post because they're, it was the CEO or whatever, because they're authoritative. And it's not necessarily the answer. It's, I think it's more contextualized to mm -hmm. the type of content, the topic, like, and who actually is the authority there, um, to be able to be the one that really kind of lends that the credibility and, and just speaks to it better than others would. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. And I think, you know, we were, I, I was considering at the end taking some of our posts and like re bylining them, but it wouldn't have just been like a change in the byline. Like we would have found influencers that, or um, customers that had expertise in like that specific topic and have them yep. review it and really bring in their own stories, their own anecdotes. Like it would have been like a proper refresh, but yeah, that did seem like the lowest hanging fruit. Like if I have a piece that's bylined by me and anybody didn't even write it cause it was like a freelancer or an agency that wrote it. And we could put that under the byline of someone who actually knows what they're talking about and bring in their actual lived experiences in the role. Like that does become yep. a lot more interesting, I think. And to your point, there is authority is not, you know, Roman, our CEO was brilliant about CX. He talked to so many customers and really understood like how they thought. Um, yeah. But that being said, he's not even like, even if there are posts that he's the best authority for, there's others that he's just like clearly not like agent focused things. Like if it's like how to be a good agent, sure, you want to give that to a CX lead because they're the ones actually judging the performance of the agents, right? But if you're trying to do something that's more tactical for agents, like how to do your first... I don't know um, how to report your metrics as like a, an early agent at a company where you're like the only agent, right? Like yep. you should probably find someone who has been the only agent because if you talk to a CX lead at a bigger company, 
they're going to talk about dashboards and things that are just not accessible totally. to that yeah. person. And that person's yeah. like, no, I need to like figure out how to make this spreadsheet with these three metrics into a slide deck, right? If they even understand yeah. what those metrics are. And we just found right. time and time again that like CX was an interesting audience. My take on it, I felt like kindred spirits as a content person talking to these CX leads and learning more about their careers. There's like a lot of overlaps, right? Like most of them did yep. not get into it on purpose, right? There's no like CX major at your local university. Same with content marketing. Right. Um, yep. Some of them got into it thinking it would be more transitional, which I do know people who have done that with content writing and then gone on to do like strategy and lead a team. And yep. um, just in general, like the amount of kind of untapped value that lives on that team, right? Because for CX leads, you're talking to customers, you're getting all of that insight, you're collecting things that are going wrong, things that they're reaching out about because they're not happy. And you're kind of like, if you're doing it well, relaying that to the rest of the company. And so there's some people that didn't relay it well, and then plenty of people who relayed it well, and it just was not heard. And um, I don't know, maybe I'm biased, but as a content leader, I definitely felt that like you feel like you have insights and value that you can bring to the org that other people don't see. And then it affects your resourcing and your scope and kind of becomes like a vicious cycle of, yep. well, you won't let me do it. And now I can't do it. And you're using that as an excuse to not let me do it. And so yep. I felt personally, like I really understood kind of their not situation, but like mindset of like, I am not sure this is like a career for me because people are not giving me the due that I deserve for like the work that I'm doing. And so at the end, when I was thinking about how to really grab them and grab their attention, a lot of the stuff that I was building in terms of strategy was more like, how do we take a bunch of SEO content that we've already written, get the right pieces together in a campaign, but then build that as like support for like a brand content campaign, right? So like, what does it look like if we did like a benchmark study with all of our proprietary data, linked that to a hub and spoke we already had on all of the CX metrics and how to sure. evaluate yep. customer service. Because like what well, I'll say, and like this even started when we were working with you and the team at 10 speed, like we make good SEO content or made, I just have to get used to that. We made good SEO content at Gorgeous. And so I was never afraid to take a piece that was meant for the search engine and put it in an email put it on social, send it to a customer yep. in an outbound because it was quality content. It just happened to be optimized for search so that it would rank as an additional distribution channel. And so having all of that as a backlog really opened up a lot of what we could do. But something I realized was that both to customers and especially internally, you could take 10 absolutely banger blog posts that are so valuable that no one cares about and just put them in a PDF and call it an ebook. And people are like, Phew. it's totally. kind of crazy yeah. like how much... Like to the point where at the end, I was kind of like, I don't care if these perform better. I'm going to keep making them because it makes people internally think that we're doing something when we were always doing something. But like, it's just interesting how the internal perception, it's all perception, but especially for marketing, that internal marketing at every company, I'm like, yeah, I learned at the last company that this was really important. And then find out that it's even more important than I realized, probably because I keep going to bigger companies, but it's just like. It's, it's, I spent as much time probably trying to get the work done as I did actually doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I think that's some, <clears throat> some good points for sure on, um, yeah, just sort of that spectrum again of like you mentioned, um, CEO talking to a ton of leaders and gaining a ton of context and, um, understanding that, but then pulling that through. And then, like you said, taking, um, content that's more search focused, but still a good quality that you can build into that. And um, like all that makes a lot of sense. And, and again, it's still very doable under that umbrella of, of the authority and, and just like um, some of that flexibility you have to kind of pull some of that together and, and create something authoritative from stuff you already had. Um, so you mentioned like leveraging folks outside uh what's like influencer bylines any of that kind of stuff or just you know cx leader reviewing something or whatever it might be um what does that look like to create like your content workflows because mm -hmm. like i think for a lot of people their heads probably just sort of start to hurt when they think about 
I already have my process, you know, whether it's like the well-oiled machine and they don't want any kinks in it, or there's a lot of companies that are like, it's already hard enough. We got to fight to keep this thing going and get stuff out the door. The thought of like trying to go find someone external and loop them in. And those people sometimes are different timelines and everything. So just help us kind of understand what you think about getting people outside the organization or even internally, but cross-functionally and like involving them in that to, to still have a, a good workflow. Yeah, definitely. So I think there's almost like two questions in there that I want to tease apart. The first one is like kind of what is that authority that you're trying to show? And then like, how do you build a sustainable process to like mm-hmm. show it? Right. Um, so to answer the first one a little bit more quickly, since it's not the one you asked, but I do think it's relevant is like, it starts at the title tag and goes kind of all the way through to the CTA. Right. Because, you know, we interviewed 10 VPs of marketing is something you absolutely can and should put in a title tag to get people to click through. And they come in and they see that someone authoritative is bylined. And it's almost like, especially these days, and this has always been a thing with attention, but especially these days, it feels like people are looking for any reason to leave the page. Right. (laughs) And so there's always been the saying of like, trust is super difficult to build, but easily broken. It's like instant. You do it once and you're done. That's kind of how it feels for every blog, at least for me, maybe I'm a more discerning reader as someone who creates content for a living, but like, I'm kind of like looking for the opt out. I'm like, okay, so byline. Okay. They look like they know what they're talking about. I read the intro. It's like, okay, they're showing some experience, some authority here. Also, they're tapping into a pain point that I'm feeling. So like, I believe that they understand what they're talking about and what I'm going through. And then as you go down, it's almost like the, uh, I'm trying to think, oh, it's Dr. Fio. Uh, Dr. Fio DeSetto, I believe, who originally introduced me to this concept, but like speaking the language of the people that you are um, talking to, not necessarily in like a jargony way, but more like the things that they would say in the way that they would say it. So I think the example mm. originally was like, if you're climbing mountains and you're writing a post for mountain climbers and you don't call it summiting, like that's not jargon. That's just... Yeah. That's the culture. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. you're going to like stick out immediately. And then as you go down the page, then you have obviously like opportunities to bust hesitations with original research. There are like ambient authority elements, like the design of the page, the quality of the design assets. Those are less important, but I do think they matter, especially if you're unknown. Like I've seen yeah. people use the example of Paul Graham's blog, basically being like, well, he looks like he started and finished this website in 1993. And like people send branded search traffic to him every day looking for those specific essays. And I'm like, true, you're yeah. not Paul Graham. You're like a series A SaaS company. Like, yeah, it's not the same. And so I do think yep. that all those things help. And so like, basically the idea is to basically provide enough value and like each sentence should keep them wanting to read the next like copywriting 101, but then also yep. should not break the flow of like, they're, they're building that trust and that momentum of that trust. And it only takes like one paragraph or section to kind of be off where they're like, Hmm, I don't, I don't know if I like that. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's kind of what I'm going for when we're doing that. And so the reason I wanted to explain that is because when I'm thinking about systems for actually getting that authority into the piece in all those different layers, it's almost like Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like you have to have the byline before the intro, before the whatever, because mm-hmm. it's bringing them down the page. And it's really like, how do we get that? and make it as easy as possible for the SMEs. And secondarily, like for our team, ideally it would not be difficult for anyone, but if we have to be difficult, it should be more on our team than them because it's much easier obviously for them to just like stop responding or, or not be interested. Sure. Yeah. And so really for me, we were starting it at like a smaller scale with people we already knew and had a relationship with, which I think is the easiest way to kind of prove out the concept, especially people we knew were kind of like not as uh, nitpicky or just like easier to work with. And I was honestly surprised by like how many of our like customers we were able to kind of like get a draft to them and have it approved with very few edits and like no legal revisions. Obviously some of the bigger customers did want that, but mm-hmm. I was kind of taking the notes of like, okay, so next time we need something quick, we'll go to this one whose legal team doesn't need to look at it. And we want to make a splash and we have time then we go to one of these like enterprise customers that we have where they are going to have to run it through three rounds of legal, but we get to put that logo next to it. Yeah. Right. And so 
for that, it was really like a one-to-one kind of understanding what topics people were good at talking through. And so we ran a, a project that was really influencer and customer based right before I left. Um, so Alexa Hertel, who was like our senior editor, she was one that just ran that project end to end. Um, I built the strategy up front. She took it all the way from there. We worked with like uh, the partner marketing team, uh, Jerry and Millie were the teammates there. And like, they really built this like guidebook around Eli Weiss, who was like our mm-hmm. top influencer. And it was incredible. And Alexa worked on it with him. And it's like this really beautiful gated piece. And we had like a thousand signups or something before it even launched, just because he has the audience to have people mm-hmm. stoked before they even read it. But then it was also really cool because like as it was going out live on like a Thursday or a Friday when we, when we dropped it, people were like, and I'd never seen this before with like a B2B content drop someone like had started reading it immediately when it dropped and then like was screenshotting pages for twitter like 30 minutes later i'm like so you couldn't wait to get into it and then you couldn't wait to like (laughs) tell people because it was so good and a lot of that honestly was like the positioning you know eli is like a very um well-known person in the space someone who's really built a deep audience in like knowing what he's talking about yeah and he positioned it as like something different, not just the same old guidebook, but something new, the next era. And then a lot of it is just like Alexa made a really amazing piece with him that flowed well and was really valuable and didn't have a lot of fluff. And so I think it really resonated with people. And like, I don't know, that was like at the tail end of my time. So I don't know where it ended up, but I do know that we got the first um, pipeline generated from it and maybe even a closed deal by the end of the first week that it had dropped because we were hitting wow. people yeah. that had kind of downloaded it in advance. So. I do think that, and again, it goes back to like what we were saying earlier, where you do 10 blocks, no one cares. You put it in an ebook, all of a sudden it feels revolutionary. It's like, there are ways to take, if you make good SEO content that you're proud to share, there are ways to get eyeballs on it day one. I mean, like, I don't think enough people look Mm -hmm. at paid, for example, especially social paid ads, which are just like a great way to get impressions, especially like on Twitter and not a good way to do anything else. And yet they still run the brand ads all day and don't really see much return. Like, why not send a thousand people to a blog that really resonated with your newsletter, but is thought leadership and has no SEO distribution. So it's just interesting to think about. And we had basically built that out into like an entire hub that Alexa also ran. And essentially the hub was like for e-commerce customer service, like our money word, our money keyword. And um, we had like importance of customer service, best practices for customer service, all of these elements that like some people would just try to cram into like a 5,000 word pillar post. Right. And I don't blame them because unfortunately Google does still reward that. And like, it's funny. I'm like doing what Google said. I'm like splitting it up. I'm having authoritative people cover each one. We're breaking them up into like separate discrete pieces. And the whole time I'm thinking like, what if Google wanted a pillar post and this was all like a (laughs) a bad idea. So it is kind of interesting, but, um, yeah, I mean, like, it was a pretty straightforward process. Like, we inter- Alexa interviewed all of them, and I think did, like, a 30 to 60-minute interview with most of them. And yeah. we worked with them to, like, kind of build out the outline, write the piece, and then had them review it. Some of them were like, great, looks good. Some of them were like, I want to bring more of my voice in, but you captured, like, the details correctly. Yeah. Um, but in general, it was actually, like, I feel like we waited longer to get them to respond to agree to do it than we did mm. for them to provide the edits once they were already in the process. I almost feel yeah. like we, we had a few that I was like, we could make these repeat, you know, contributors. And then I feel like it would have been a lot easier because I think the thing with most guest posting programs is that they really index on like volume and variety. It's hard yeah. to get someone to write 10 posts for you for free. Very easy right. to just have someone write like one. And so you just have like this constant cycle reminds me of trying to get back to the gym personally. It's like every time I go, I give up in the first month. And so I only get the part that is absolutely awful because I never get to the second (laughs) and third month where it starts to feel good. And so my only memories of the gym are just like awful. (laughs) Everything hurts and I'm tired. And so that was the goal was to make it more sustainable, to find people who had kind of the breadth of the knowledge and have bring them in for more pieces. And like, even at the end, I was looking at like, can we use a tool like letter drop or like AI generated content to help these SMEs write their own posts? Because sure. a, it feels kind of backward to like have this expert with all of the information, paying a third party with none of the information to write it. Obviously they're very good at the actual communication of the ideas. And that's why 
you hire a writer, no shade to freelance writers. We have some amazing ones who did incredible work. But the thing was, is like, how sustainable is it to have an SME continue to contribute if you're not giving them a cut of that? So maybe it's like we split the yeah. budget in half and half goes to the SME and half goes to the writer to just kind of edit what the SME puts together. But for me, it's I'm never worried about like an SME sentence structure and stuff. It's more like, are you communicating a clear idea through the piece, sure. right? And so if an expert has yeah. the experience of like giving presentations on stage or like in a boardroom, often they won't need as much coaching as you would think to like write a good piece because I can easily edit grammar and surface level things. And honestly, like I could probably do a chat GPT prompt that could edit surface level grammar and sentence structure and things like that. It's like the thinking and the logic side of it that is really yeah. to me the more challenging part to replicate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think I, I'm kind of curious, like, um, or maybe, maybe you kind of answered, I was going to ask about like the, <clears throat> um, like the workflow around sourcing people, um, and whatnot. And so you mentioned like, you can't get someone to write 10 for free. Totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned like giving them a cut. So you're saying rather than like always trying to go source different people to have like, you know, just a bunch of asking for a bunch of favors for people to do mm-hmm. one piece for you for free. You were actually just finding some good folks who had some breadth and then actually, you know, negotiating and, p- and paying them is what you're saying. Yeah. I think the problem is like everything that you do the first time is always harder the first time. Right. And then yeah. the second time it becomes a little easier and so on. And it did feel like kind of a waste of energy to always be onboarding new CX leaders yeah. every post when I could have someone kind of be like a contributing writer Also, there's something to be said about having kind of a reoccurring cast of characters in your content Mm -hmm. program. I think it was, I want to say it was Notion that someone mentioned to me recently. I'm not as familiar with their program, so I'm not sure. But they were basically like, the reason video works for Notion is because you see the same people kind of over and over again. It's almost like that, like, not like Taylor Swift levels of parasocial relationship, but like something really light and B2B friendly where you're like, oh, I like, you know, it's. It's kind of like watching the podcast, right? Like I see my friends on here and I'm like, oh, okay. Hey, Eric, what's up? But then I'm also seeing like you every week and I'm like, oh, I'm like starting to pick up on Nate's mannerisms and like how he asks questions. And it feels like you feel more- How often he shaves. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's like that element of like familiarity, I think does also impact authority. Yeah. And I think that's also like an important point to make about trust is- I think people think about trust and credibility in like this really linear kind of like stoic way. And I don't think that's how people trust maybe on like medicine and things that are like super serious. But I think there there's people who have been developing their expertise in a certain niche for like 30 years as like a professor and the Mm -hmm. people that know, know, but like the general public is, is reading like the pop psych book about the same topic that just like regurgitates their research so it's just like you can go you can go and build authority over time and really like really build it over time but also there's people that maybe not authority but definitely an element of trust because like a tiktok Mm -hmm. goes viral and they start covering like i'm seeing this a lot with like the you know the war in the middle east between like israel and hamas it's like people that didn't have any platform and now people are tuning in every single day to see what they have to say over like BBC yeah, totally. and ABC. Yep. And there's definitely things to be said about why those organizations are losing credibility. But I think the more interesting conversation in terms of content right now is like these people were in the right place at the right time, but then they continue to show up in that credible, consistent way. It's almost like how fast you can build that affinity when yeah. you do it right and the timing matches up and all of that. Yep. Um, all right. So any other things, uh, you know, I think we could talk for hours probably on, on this topic, but anything else you want to say uh, around like authority and content marketing before we switch to the final four questions? Yeah, I would say like the only other aspect that we didn't really cover yet, and maybe we will in the final four, but um, authority to me is so tied to AI. Like it's almost mm-hmm. inextricable because a the AI content that is just getting churned out, that's pulling from the same top 10 SERP entries as every other AI writer and also human freelance yep. writer, unfortunately. Um, there's just nothing distinguishing it. And it's written by someone on the marketing team 
if you look at the byline, there's just nothing to make it feel credible at all. Um, but also just as I get further into like understanding where AI can be useful for content, um, the three things that I've kind of settled on and I'm not settling on, I'm not, I'm not settled yet. Hmm. There's still like so much happening so fast and I'm no expert, but the things that are most interesting to me are like, what are the inputs for this AI to work with? Cause that's like the biggest complaint I have is like drawing from the same kiddie pool that everyone else mm -hmm. is. And we need to go a lot deeper. Um, and then like the systems of how that works. Right. Because I think everyone wants this kind of like mega prompt. You put it in, you push a button, you get a blog and that's just never going to happen. It's never going to mm -hmm. be good. At least it can happen. It's just not going to be worth reading. Correct. Um, and so when you think about like the AI usage and content creation, I've always explained it like ping pong, right? Like you put the post in or you put the inputs in the brief or whatever you're putting in, and then you're going to get something back. You're going to have to like, at least tell it, whoa, not too much here, more there. At most, yep. I sometimes will even rewrite what the AI has given me for the next step of the like chain. And so I think the systems are going to be super important. And also like a lot of the most interesting AI applications I've seen are not like creating a blog post that ranks. It's more like the connective tissue between all of these different disparate tools and systems and disciplines that we have to like kind of balance as content marketers, everything from the research all the way to like the distribution. And so that's the second part. And then the third part is honestly just like, I haven't come up with a good name for it, but just kind of like dealing with the output and like having discretion, like the editing, whether it's an actual content yes. piece that you're yeah. editing the output or even like being a data analyst and using AI to like go faster through the SQL analysis or whatever. Like you still need to look at the end thing. Maybe you want to reposition something that was said. Like you should never take the yeah. output of any AI just like at its word without any kind of you know, double checking. And so it kind of reinforces this theory I have, which again, brings us full circle back to authority. That was an accident, but that's great. Um, mm -hmm. Essentially, like, I don't think AI is just going to like wholesale, at least for like the next five to 10 years, just like replace me with like a piece of software. What I do think is going to happen is that people that are leveraging AI properly are going to get to the point where they're 2Xing, 3Xing, 4Xing the output yep. of someone else who's not using it. And the best people are going to do more and the, what's going to take their jobs is like, there's not going to get the headcount they would have gotten because they can do it with less people in my opinion. Yep. And yep. so, you know, it makes me think of like, there was a post that uh, Jay Kunzo did with like, Anne Hanley was on stage and someone was like, how do you, you know, how do you make ChatGPT sound like a writer? And her and everyone else in the front was like, hire a writer. Like ChatGPT is not going to replace us, but it may extend us. And so I'd yep. be more worried about upskilling both as like a content marketer and as someone using AI than I would be about like AI going AGI and just like Terminator writing my blog yeah, yeah, for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a great um, <clears throat> finishing point. And I agree like to your, to your end, like that there's a huge connection between AI and authority currently in terms of um, kind of a, a distinguishing factor in um, quality of content and content performance and and just kind of that seeing that divergence currently and interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, um, the ironic thing is like, there's almost no authority or like in popular discourse on LinkedIn and AI, I think we get into this in one of the next questions, but like, yeah, authority is super important. I know generative AI is new, but there are people who are experts and the people that have the followers are the ones that like make carousels like here's five pieces of AI news. Like, thank you, Google news. Like that's right. not super helpful in terms of like right. understanding this at a deeper conceptual level. And honestly, I've found it really hard, like surprisingly difficult to find the good resources. Yeah, I agree. So, um, yeah. So shifting into the, the final four, same questions we ask every guest. Um, first one, uh, what's a recent success or learning you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that campaign that we talked, I talked about that Alexa ran was to me probably my favorite thing we put out in my time at Gorgeous, yeah. both because of this, like, at the end, we were thinking like people first, expert driven, right? And they're kind of inextricable all the way from like doing the customer research to understand what your audience actually cares about, that you're covering the right topics, all the way to providing them someone that they can look up to, to like learn that topic from and not just like me, the marketer being like, here's how to do CX. 
And so yeah. that project was really kind of like the culmination of all of that. And also credibility beyond just the person writing it and like how they speak, but also just like the structure of the content, right? Because we were really trying to replace like a pillar post on e-commerce customer service with this like hub model and not just like yeah. internally linked like tradition, but like actually having the chapters on the side, we were like building out that template when I left and just kind of trying to understand what does that EEAT look like implicitly to a reader who has no idea what that is. And yeah. so Google can tell regardless of where you put the chapters that they're all linked, right? It's about proximity and kind of how close they are. But yeah. for a reader, they don't, they're not going to go click all your internal links to make sure you cover the topic thoroughly. But if they see that this is one of a 10 part series on this topic that goes deep into all of the things that they wanted, A, they might go through and read other ones in addition to the keyword they searched. We also were thinking about it as a way to kind of get into the hub through the spokes. So like you Google importance of, you see the whole hub and now you're introduced to all these other topics that maybe you weren't even thinking about. Um, totally. I just think there's a lot there in terms of like navigation and kind of just like, yeah, authority is so big. I think the conversation yeah. about authority really is kind of boiled down in my opinion, when I look at like LinkedIn posts to like have authoritative experts write the content, they know what they're doing. They should be the ones to communicate it. And like, totally, I think there really are though, a lot of like from ambient to even just like adjacent elements that I don't know if a reader is actively thinking about them, but they are all definitely being processed in the consumption and kind of like, yeah, when they're, when they're reading the article, they're, they're thinking about these things, whether or not they are actively thinking about them. Yes. Um, I agree. I've been to so many blogs where I never had a chance to find out if they knew what they were talking about, even if the byline looked good, because it just looked so bad in the formatting and everything. I'm just like, if they had something good to say, they would put more effort into this website. And that's not always true. <laughs> but when you're, you know, clicking three tabs from the SERP open and just kind of like moving quickly through them, there's not a lot of time to be super discerning. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, all right. So the next two questions are company focused. Um, so I think like gorgeous would probably be the most uh, relevant for that. Um, but kind of however, however you prefer to answer. Um, so for your company, what role does content play in the overall strategy? You know, it, it was interesting because there's kind of like a what role did it play and like what role would I have loved to see it play more? Um, definitely, I felt like it was a key part of the marketing process that uh, people wanted, at least on the marketing team, to like get more of our time, use more of our content. I do think that people were, they found the content helpful when they actually used it. The, the issue that I had was more getting people to use the content than it was like people being happy with the content. And when they were, mm -hmm. it was usually around like length because it was, you know, written for search. And so we were looking at opportunities to like, how do we make the actionable part of this into a deck? Or like, what does it look like sure. to make a video that gets at the same concept? And we were doing a lot of stuff with video at the end with our video producer, Daryl. And so, I don't know, I think like, what I would have liked to see it come in more where I think it would have been more helpful is kind of like defining the POV of the org more clearly. And when I would say that to people, I would kind of get the pushback of like, who are you to decide that? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, we already mm -hmm. have these POVs. It's why we're building the product that we are the way we are, right? Totally. And that's yep. such an interesting thing about thought leadership is people are like, well, like, where do we start? And I'm like, I don't know, ask your CEO. I guarantee you he has like 10 TED Talks in his head on the thing you sell yep. and he wants to give them immediately on a podcast. And so, yep. I don't know. It's just like, I do think that I think where I see a lot of content programs not reach the level of success that they're capable of is either because they're getting blocked from doing the things that they want. So like I would, if I surveyed mm -hmm. 30 of my content leader friends, I would say 29 or 30 would say that their biggest blocker is like their VP or their CEO, that they could do more totally. if, if they were able to just do what they wanted. But I think also another part of it is, again, it comes back to like the CX, like there is a level of not only like understanding of the subject matter that a lot of people in the company don't have, that a content person has from just writing and learning about it all the time and the access to the SMEs that can inform all of these things. And we're seeing what people click on, what they don't, where they stay longer, where they don't, even something as simple yeah. as social, like what pops off and what doesn't, those are like signals to kind of refine the positioning of your POV. And while I do think that like, I don't know, it's kind of a hard situation because I think the CEO has to own it, but the content person has to own it. I don't know which one yeah. owns it, but it's like, 
the CEO has to drive it, I think. And then the content person has to um, extract it and yeah, extract it, it, refine it, communicate it. And I don't know, like we had, we had a couple different products at Gorgeous and like I had a, in my head, at least a very clear POV of like what we were trying to say with the content for each one. And I felt like it was, I mean, I have obviously in the weeds with it, but like, I felt like it was obvious, right? Like it's, yeah. you know, we talk about Gorgeous Automate and generally people are scared of automation because they think it's going to provide like a crappy customer experience. And so a lot of the things we did were more like, how can we make things instant and a better customer experience? So you kind of like yeah. win both ways. And so when we would talk about automation, it was not go as fast as you possibly can blaze a path down the racetrack. It was very much like, this actually is going to give you more time for the real tickets that matter to your business yeah. by getting rid of all of the junk food tickets, right? Because it was both what we were trying to solve, the pain point, and the biggest objection for why people were having trouble adopting it. So like, it just made sense. Yeah, but totally. to be fair, I think a lot of good ideas, I say this to someone the other day, like in tech, the marketing and the product should, I think, feel obvious a lot of the times if you do it right. And people can be like, oh, that's obvious, but it's like, okay, but how long has this been a category and you didn't do it? They didn't do it. You know what I mean? So it's yep. kind of interesting. Yep. Something to think yep. about. Yep. Um, all right. Next one is, uh, how does your company define success for you and your team? Yeah. I mean, honestly, that was probably one of our biggest challenges, at least in my, that was one of my biggest challenges. I'll, I'll take that on personally, because um, I had five bosses during my two year tenure at Gorgeous and like more different types of OKRs than that. Like one quarter we had organic traffic. We did like a revenue number one quarter. I even had one where it was like, I have to look at, you know, in this quarter we had X companies in our TAM engaging with our content that were prospects and not customers and like get that up to more 20% yeah. <laughs> raise or whatever. And so not that any of these were like bad metrics necessarily, depending on the goals. It's just that we changed so often. I never had more than a quarter to like get into yep. a program. And I think it really slowed us down on the things that we were trying to accomplish on the content side, not in gorgeous in general, but like for the content team, because we would go from like, okay, we're really trying to ship a bunch of work and like build out our foundation in the SERP. And then we're going to start cleaning some of it up and iterate and, and come back and refresh it. And then all of a sudden we're pivoting to like a hard revenue model. Now conversion on those posts becomes more important. And it's like quality over quantity, but you also don't want to let the quantity slip because that's also an right. input. Um, so yeah, honestly, where you, like, where do you think, I think my favorite metric at Gorgeous was the yeah. one I had at the end, which was basically just like email submissions, qualified email submissions on okay. the content. Um, I just that's feel I like, ask. oh, can you hear me? <clears throat> yeah, I was gonna say, that's what I was gonna ask was like of all the ones you had, like which one do you think felt best? Yeah, so I would say my favorite one was at the end, we had like an MQL number, but it was essentially like qualified in TAM, not a customer and putting their email in on like a piece of content. Cause that felt like A, moving in the direction of what we wanted to actually accomplish with the content, right? In a way that organic mm. traffic didn't, but also there's like multiple levers there, right? Like you can make, more posts you can get more traffic to the same post you can up the conversion rate you can get that post in front of people with outbound paid ads whatever and it's like not an attribution issue because i'm just trying to get them to put their email in on that post so i think it created yeah. more opportunities for collaboration and it also felt like we could own even like a more aggressive number because there was multiple paths to it as opposed to like organic traffic not that there's not multiple paths there but it definitely feels less you know what i mean like yeah. uh at least short term, there's only so much you can do outside of just like refreshing a bunch of content. Um, so I think yeah. that's probably my favorite. Um, the engaged one was really interesting. Like how many TAM companies are we engaging directly with our content? I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know if it was the best for that quarter, but I could definitely see situations where the problem you're trying to solve would be served by that. You know, the kind mm -hmm. of people that are like early on and they're like, we're not going for ACB. We want logos. We want maximum amount of logos. So like, close the mom and pop shop down the street. Like, I don't care. I just need the number of companies to go up. Something like that could be really interesting there. And I think it would probably still even be like a supporting metric in that case, but still yeah. something interesting. Kind of, AB, kind of ABM-ish. Yeah, definitely that. And we, you know, we could have gone deeper into that and like we didn't on the content side, but that is an interesting um, thought. And then I think like 
the hardest one was just like owning a straight organic revenue number, but more yeah. because of the missing links than because it was revenue, right? Like I'm comfortable yeah. owning revenue, but when you don't understand what's making that go up and down from a content perspective, like in a really predictable and reliable way, it's a very scary number to own because you're like, oh, it's going up. And I can see which posts are driving more, but I'm not really sure where that connection is. We use like a multi-touch model. So it's like not, sure. you know, yeah. a direct one-to-one. And so I think it's just like really interesting to, um, something that I'm leaving gorgeous with is like a burning desire to figure out how to better show the impact of content on revenue outside yeah. of attributed revenue. Because yeah. I just saw so many times, like we didn't even have a strong touch in the middle for content so like we automatically lost that part of the you know what i mean so it, it's just mm. it's tough to think about um but we also had a lot of wins that we didn't like in my opinion do enough with just because we needed more i needed to be more technical and in sql than i was and so we even had like a like a study we did with our ops team that if someone was in deal cycle and went to any post on the blog versus someone who didn't their like close rate went up by almost 20 points, right? Mm -hmm. Which is mm -hmm. like incredible. And of course, correlation, not causation. And someone who's more eager as a buyer is more likely to go to the blog and be looking around and think, but 20 points, I feel like there's at least part of that that does have some impact. And I would have loved to have dug in more there. And I think as we start to move to more of this like content brand model that people like John Benini are talking about, really repurposing, distributing, doing more things out of side of just like um, direct, search traffic, which then converts on the page because it never happened like that even to begin with. And so it's like, Correct. if content is swirling around this entire marketing funnel and the sales process, how do you show the value of content? And I don't think that like a discrete attribution breakdown will ever show <clears throat> the no. value of content. Yeah. But I agree. a problem that I ran into is like, you know, Dream Data had a number for like content influenced and everyone was like that's not real <laughs> so it's like right. you know it's figuring out that balance of like everyone in the company is looking at this one number which is like attributed revenue and being like that is our driving force for what we do and you're like not really for us but it's kind of hard to carve out your own space and be different yeah than the way everyone else is measured so it's just like there's a lot more that we can talk about there with attribution but that was kind of my thinking around owning those numbers yeah yeah okay all right. And then this last one is one we could certainly have another, you know, 45 minute conversation just on this alone. But uh, just quickly, kind of what's uh, your least favorite marketing conversation that's happening in social channels right now and why? Yeah, it's, it's definitely AI. I know that's not a unique answer. There's a few other definite contenders. Like, I think the people talking about fractional CMOs, fractional whatever, have like a valid point, but they're not getting into any of the nuance. So it's not actually worth really listening mm. to um i'm seeing a lot of people like this one's been discussed ad nauseum but like people building a linkedin audience talking about how to build a linkedin audience and then telling them they can build your linkedin audience because they built their linkedin yeah. audience it's kind of like a pyramid scheme and then yes. um yeah. also just kind of the one that's been kind of frustrating recently and it it's more frustrating from like a larger perspective. I don't blame the people doing this because I'm sure that they would be running their program like this. Again, the VP or the CMO or the CEO is not allowing it to happen. But I've definitely seen people that will get on there and be like, you know, this era of content is dead. It's like time for a new era and we need to change the way we do everything. And then you go to their website and I'm like, you are betting it all on the 10th, 2010 HubSpot playbook, like to this day. And so there's definitely something to be said for like not being able to do the things that they want to do. But also I want to see more people kind of drink the champagne on that. And yeah. I was talking to someone, uh, Ronnie Higgins recently, and we were talking about mm -hmm. how SEO becomes this like self-fulfilling thing where everyone's doing it because it feels predictable. And then you see all the case studies of it working, which makes it feel predictable, which makes more people do it versus like distribution, which always feels like a big going out on a limb. Right. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of my biggest thing with, with AI is like these companies are not incentivizing content leaders or anyone else really to like fully unpack the power that it can bring to the organization. And like, yeah, 
I have a bunch of smart friends that are like, I know I need to do AI. I know I need to use it. I just don't really know where to start. And I definitely don't have two weeks of solid like time to just nerd out and dig in. And so, but then they're not incentivized to, because if you pivot your whole program away from the SEO safe feeling standard thing, and it doesn't work out, then what do you say? It's kind of like the, yeah. no one gets fired for hiring Deloitte dilemma, right? Like you'd rather lose with right. Deloitte than win with the challenger because yeah. then if the challenger yeah. doesn't win, you have to explain it, but no one's mad yeah. if Deloitte messes it up. And I honestly feel like that stops a lot of marketing innovation in general. Like this is a whole nother episode, but I just feel like the investors are pushing the CEO so hard to make revenue right now. And then mm -hmm. the CEOs are then pushing the marketing leader to do the same. And like, I just feel like everyone that I know feels like they're always trying to catch up for last quarter. And I'm like, what if we did something for next quarter? And right. it's easy to say like, well, a proper marketing mix balances both the short term and the long term, but that's not what I'm seeing happening. When I yeah. talk to my friends at other tech companies, I just feel like everyone's so focused on the quarter. It's like, are you building a quarter or are you building a business? So yep. easy yeah. to say Good for point. my uh, <laughs> level as a content marketer, and I'm not the CEO running the company, but I just see so many opportunities across the SaaS landscape that are not being capitalized on because people are just trying to write more blogs that might be obsolete in six months. Yeah. No, all, all great points. <clears throat> and I think um, uh, definitely a lot of interconnectedness there too around um, trying to get stuff out the door, AI, uh, authority, how it's measured, uh, you know, how there's, you know, credit given internally, kind of all of that stuff to me is a, a pretty complicated web of, of things to untangle. And, you know, every CEO has a different temperament and every company has a different board and expectations and all of that just leads to a huge multivariate for every, you know, content marketer and, and marketing team in general to, to kind of figure out. So yeah, all good stuff. <laughs> yep. Um, so with that, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up. Um, if you want to check out any uh, past episodes, visit 10speed.io slash podcast. Uh, like and subscribe on your favorite channel. And um, Ryan, thank you so much for, for joining and chatting through all this today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Anything for 10speed.